This is a conversation with Sahil Latif. He's a lecturer at Amity University for architectural design and a senior architect at WSW Consultancy. He's a recipient of the 2003 Charles Correa Gold Medal for Design. He's an architect, designer, educator, and nature enthusiast. In this episode, we discuss architecture with a strong focus on architecture in Dubai, Sharjah, Sri Lanka, and Japan, elements of design, evolution of Dubai as a city, and creativity. This is no time. Remember the name that no one ever. But if you like what you see, then do subscribe on YouTube. Follow this channel on Spotify or rate five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to make a donation to this project so that it continues, then you can do so on Patreon and I will write you love letters for the rest of my life. For other forms of love and support, you can follow this channel on Instagram or Twitter or follow me personally. And now, it is no time. So Winston Churchill once said that we shape our buildings and thereafter they shape us. Yes. If I were to ask you to measure the impact of architecture on every single person as a field of work, as an art form or as in science, how do you think it impacts people and our perception of our cities or our cultures? I think, I think this particular year or the last one year has kind of made everyone understand the impact of architecture more than ever because we were kind of stuck in our houses, in our buildings, you know. So that we were kind of in some sense forced to acknowledge that architecture has a huge impact. Um, if you think about it, like most of our time is in some form of architecture or the other. What is the impact of architecture on a city? I think it, it in some sense, it defines the city. It is, right. it is what creates the character of the city. What about every single person? Like, do you think there's respect? For architecture or design within like a common person who doesn't know architecture is not well versed in the field i'm not sure whether everyone really understands what the impact of architecture is or what architecture is though everyone's living in a house or using it all the time um and maybe that's okay you know it's uh it's in some sense it is a background field i mean it is where life happens so in the, in the sense you always have architecture that people kind of recollect you know, or you can associate with. When you say Dubai, people say, oh, Burj Khalifa or, you know, Burj Al Arab and things like that. But um, that's not all that architecture is, right? Architecture is kind of all around us. Um, but that being said, there is also a little bit of a difference between architecture and building because mm, not all building in some sense is architecture. Um, <laughs> what, is that a controversial opinion? Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, I mean, um, there, there were buildings and houses long before the field of architecture kind of evolved, right? Like, if you think prehistorically, also people made houses or the uh, or transformed caves and things like that to. Wouldn't that classify as some form of architecture? Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, it is some form of architecture, but it is not kind of consciously designed. Uh, or thought of as a separate field. It was a, it was kind of like construction, right? Um, whereas the moment we start talking about architecture, it also implies that there has been some thought given into how it would be used or how it, um, you know, somebody's consciously thinking about the person who's inside it. So your definition of architecture would involve thoughtful design. Yes, know? yes, yeah. in some sense, yes. So if I'm not putting thought into it, it's not really architecture. Um, you, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would, I would, I would 
yeah maybe go to that extent yes um <laughs> do you think uh, one of the reasons why before the pandemic people might have not had uh, an idea or have not acknowledged architecture is because do you think it's not communicated well enough like for example if i look at a building usually i don't know what the prevailing motifs or the symbolism represent like if it's a curve then i'm not sure if it represents the waves or the clouds or something like that so i see a good building but i'm not always sure the story behind the structure um i'm not sure whether it's important for all buildings to you, for everyone to be able to understand the kind of story behind it or the the idea behind it um so I, i what i'm not i'm not implying that the uh, pandemic has made people more aware of um the field of architecture what i'm saying is that uh, that it has made people more aware of our surroundings in general and the fact that now there is a lot of discussion about you know whether a certain uh, house is designed well or not because earlier we kind of like say for instance this room this has enough light and ventilation and things like that but if it didn't earlier it probably didn't matter so much because we would see it as somewhere that we would come and crash and that's it you know so you didn't really worry about whether it had enough light and whether it had a nice view and things like that but when you were stuck in here for like few months then it becomes important to you you know uh so the the value that you attach to good design or to a uh, design that has uh, different qualities has changed or has um has come to question again you know do you think every single person deep inside can be a closet architect or like somewhere on the spectrum why i say this is because i mean every person has an opinion on buildings wants to take pictures with them can appreciate beauty to an extent not trying to trivialize what you guys do it's a very hard job and not everyone can do it but at least someone can be on a on a varying level of degree where you can have some love or respect for good structures something that looks good because you know how it influences you even when you plan your house out and you planning the interiors out to an extent you know what works for you, you know you have you are dabbling in some aesthetics so do you think every person is somewhere on that spectrum or is it more of an exclusive field where only few people can tap into it i think there is uh, for sure there is a uh... like the, it's a field that a lot of people will find interesting and a field that i think a lot of people can contribute to um whether that makes you an architect or not i'm not sure um but uh because in in some sense the big difference between architecture and say other fields of art uh, in some sense like if you think of sculpture or you think of paintings is that architecture involves more people than just the architect so say for instance if you design a house uh, the person who's going to live in that house and their interaction with you and with the space makes a big difference to the house uh, to the outcome of the design also if um if the architect and the client is kind of constantly in dialogue and that i guess in some sense creates the best kind of architecture where there is a dialogue between the person who is designing and the person who is going to use it um so yes in that sense yes everyone has a lot to contribute to architecture um where where the difference between a person designing his own house and a person designing it with an architect the difference is that the architect may have more experience of uh of you know dealing with different settings when it comes to different sites or 
different materials or trying to understand what the client really needs because sometimes people think that they know what they want but because it's not a field that they've spent enough time in they are not able to see other possibilities at best you can see okay i've seen this kind of room or this kind of window somewhere i want it but it may not work here like we were talking earlier about you went on a trip to barcelona uh maybe you saw something that uh, gaudi designed but um if you tell that to the architect that i want that particular type of window maybe he can try and help you kind of translate that to the setting you know um so yeah in that sense yes can it, i push back on that so as uh, speaking as someone who's not an architect yes do you think it can work the opposite way when architect will always be uh, not always sorry but can fall victim to his own style yes they of will course. always create the same stuff of course having yeah. a dialogue with someone like me might give you might one give me a very personalized house so his influence plus my influence and also maybe allow them to venture out of their comfort zone a bit yes uh, that's a good point and uh, i think quite a valid point in the sense that a lot of people argue uh, that oh i don't want to work with that designer he has a fixed style he always wants to do everything in marble or whatever you know and um, also um, yeah so that that's also kind of uh, uh, an approach that i would take as opposed to not all architects might take that approach um yes that i think with any kind of creative field there's always that line right how much of uh, um how much of the design you want to keep control over and how much of you it you want to let other influences come in and kind of shape it is that a tough line uh it sorry um, um it depends it depends on the type of project it depends on the type of client and what is expected of you you know um like certain architects and certain designers are given a job because they are they have a certain style or they have a certain kind of aesthetic that is what the client wants on the project like if i were to take an example you must have heard of this very famous uh, british architect called zahadeep yeah yeah uh, so she had a very particular style of architecture which is quite flamboyant and quite uh, curvy and a lot of yes, 360 yes. degrees yes i mean Uh, la- her later works were known for these kind of very flamboyant curves and these huge scale big projects there's a building in uh, business bay or downtown as well yes, which is her yes, right yes the uh, the opus tower yes. uh, that I mean, that's uh, in in her overall career i would say it's uh, quite a simple building you know it's not as as flamboyant as some of her other projects like there is this big museum that she designed in baku yeah i've been yeah you've been the haider um, ali yes i'm not yes. sure how to pronounce it sorry haider haider ali yeah. um center yes yeah. <laughs> um so when you go to baku you see the presence of that building you know you drive by you don't need to be an architect to see that and say whoa what is that you know for for it to kind of stand up um but i uh, when the city of baku hired her they knew what they were going to get into you know so they wanted that they wanted uh, something fresh something different something kind of to wow you um but not all architecture needs to be like that so you know you have to find that balance up, uh, about you know trying to understand what is the need of that project so um for instance the the same architect when she's given this project in in business bay they know that they 
they cannot do a, a, a building as flamboyant as the one in Baku because yeah. that was not the need of either the site nor the client. You know, um, so yes, so you f- you judge how much of uh, how much of your personal aesthetic and your style you put into the building depending on the on the project. Okay, I imagine it must be hard to keep reinventing your style preferences and to explore new things that you've never done before. Yes, yes, it is always easier to kind of fix the style and kind of keep going with that. But in some sense um it's uh architecture is is a uh, is what do you say is it's not about one project it's yeah. not about one style it's uh, it's more the process and it's more about how in each project you can explore something further you yeah. know um so in in that sense it's something uh, that is constantly changing you know so every project you get has a different site as a different set of requirements so there it's bound to change it's bound to evolve it's very interesting you mentioned change okay I, there's a lot of things i have to ask you about everything you've just said yes. let's dive into it by the way if so when while we're talking about uh, every person can be a, at least on at least 10% of an architect if i start using pinterest more than facebook then i think i'm 15% of an <laughs> architect right pinterest is a tricky yes yeah. <laughs> subject <laughs> um it is a great resource but at the same time it can be quite a trap so um as a as somebody who also teaches students i'm a little scared of pinterest right. <laughs> yeah sure so maybe maybe if i use pinterest i'm 15% of an architect and if i start saving my work as final version and then final final version <laughs> then final 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 version yeah. then maybe i'm 20% <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Okay. I don't know whether yeah. it it happens in other fields also. Do you like in, in your field would you save a file as final and then final Always. final? Yeah. So Always. so I don't think that's uniquely <laughs> an architect. I, I think it started with design though. Where, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then it all take over like all our presentations always final revised revised version 4 or 5. Yes, uh, yes, yes. And I guess everyone's struggling with the same thing. Okay, so let me explore the first bit where you were talking about how it shapes a city. So let's talk about Dubai and Pori Club and let's let's try to see in what ways as architecture shape our perception of a city and I'd love to give you a personal example here so every single time that I drive on Sheikh Zayed road I'm in awe you know and for someone who's grown up in the city you would imagine at some point it should become normal for you but it doesn't and I stay in motor city and I end up going to Karama Bar Dubai to say so that side of town So I always have to make a conscious choice between taking Emirates Road or Al Khail or Sheikh Zayed Road, and I don't take Sheikh Zayed Road on the days that it doesn't deserve it in a way. So <laughs> it has to, like, it has to be a good day, or I'm have to it, be in a good mood. It's an occasion. No? It's an occasion. Yeah, it is an event. Me choosing Sheikh Zayed Road, unless it makes the most sense to go someplace, has to be an occasion. Or maybe when I'm coming back at night when the road is relatively emptier, and then I put on my like favorite tracks and music. and i'm in my car and just driving down sheikh zayed road and like that is my moment with my city you know where i fall in love with the city all over again i'm reminded of what the city has achieved and the ambition that is just shown and just that is our moment together you know and there's just a, that those 10 15 minutes when you're on that road and then obviously headed home those are really special for me so do you have such do you have an area not just in dubai maybe or anywhere in the world where you visited hundreds of times but every single time you visit it you feel like you you're learning something new about it oh i mean 
uh, I I am a great fan of revisiting places, you know. So um, like as as you already know, I I am quite fond of traveling, and always the thing with traveling is yes, you want to see new places, you want to see new things, you want to see. You always have your kind of bucket list, but. uh over the last um say 5 6 years what i've realized is probably i enjoy visiting places that i've already been to as much if not more than visiting new places um so it's a difficult question for me to answer you know um uh in fact yeah i i like your example of this sheikh zaid road drive because there's so many parts of dubai that kind of instantly transform uh, tr- transport me to another time like say for instance uh, dr- uh, drive in karama you know it's a it's a normal thing you know but it instantly uh, kind of reminds me of school time of friends of yeah. you know of so many things like just the old karama colony you know it's not even any fancy uh, bit of the city um uh, and um, yeah that so can i can explore that do you think that's special for you because of your childhood memories yes. because of nostalgia yes, yes. because i sometimes i think about it and i feel i don't have such memories of sheikh zaid road yeah. i didn't grow up on that road but it's just that road itself is it shows you like the future of humanity and you know <laughs> it's just it makes you feel like you're in the future and like the city has come from where it came from it is amazing and it shows you like anything's possible you know it's like kind of an announcement of ambition in that sense yeah yeah um yeah for me the example of karama is purely kind of nostalgic right. <laughs> um it's also uh nostalgia not just for like childhood and its memories but also for like the simple the yeah. simplicity of dubai you know uh, i grew up in a dubai without shopping malls you know which is impossible almost <laughs> to imagine now um, uh, um nowadays when i interact with my students i cannot i cannot explain to them you know what we did in the city because you know their whole um, idea of the city is very different of what you can do of what it means to be in dubai of of the fact that the whole world knows dubai you know like we grew up uh, i don't know about you but i grew up in a dubai which like you know if you went to the us and you said dubai okay maybe they've heard of it you know now it's impossible to go almost anywhere in the world and expect to find people who have never heard of dubai um Yeah so if i give you so i've obviously been very vocal about my love for sheikh zaid road to a lot of people and the argument i've gone against it yes. and i want to check that with you yes. is that a lot of people find it claustrophobic very intimidating it can make you feel very small when you're surrounded by so many skyscrapers not just sheikh zaid road maybe downtown dubai marina jbr all those areas or glt for example do you think that's fair criticism um i think that's a uh, that varies from person to person uh, i think it's difficult for me to say it's not fair because if somebody is feeling intimidated or feeling out of scale out of place yes it's their feeling you know so how can you argue with that um is there any sense to that argument um i think there is in some sense uh because you explained to me that your uh, whole love for sheikh zaid road is kind of tied very much to your experience of driving through Right, you're yeah, traveling through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your your music track and your speed, and that's why you don't want to go when there's rush hour or when you're not in a good mood because it has a certain kind of setting uh, in your mind. And if you see that that itself is where the problem or the confusion happens because uh, you are okay with the idea that that is a part of the city that you appreciate from your car, 
as opposed to if you were on the street walking somewhere, right? Then your perception of Sheikh Zayed Road might be very different to your perception, say, in a place like City Walk, which yeah. has a smaller scale, which has more activity on the street. Maybe City Walk is not the best example, but any of the older parts of the city, like say, no. if you were walking around in Dera, the souks, the souk, yeah, you know, I mean, it's meant to be walked. It's meant to be seen at the street. It's yeah. meant to be like you are one of the people on the street interacting with people or dodging things. And, you know, the whole kind of fun of the city comes alive when you're on foot. Whereas in Sheikh Zayed Road, that is never a possibility, you know. So, um, so people who've grown up in other cities where there is more street activity, like I constantly have friends from other parts of the world who visit and they come and when we pass Sheikh Zayed Road, they, they ask me this question almost always, where are the people? You know, <laughs> like everyone's in their car. Yeah. There's no, nothing happening as such on the street, like as opposed to if you were in any big city around the world, you went to Istanbul or uh, Cairo or Delhi or anywhere, Barcelona, you know, it's the street, it's the activity of the street, it's the people that creates the mood and the character of the city. So, and Sheikh Zayed Road, um, the big challenge of Sheikh Zayed Road is that it's designed as a highway. It's designed from the perspective of somebody who's moving at 100, 100 kilometers per hour, you know. Right. So, therefore, the scale of the buildings also makes sense because it's meant to be seen at that speed, at that distance or whatever, you know. So, it kind of disconnects your experience of the city. It, it makes you a spectator rather than somebody who is involved with the city. So I understand the criticism that a lot of people give that, oh, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, why is it so tall here? Suddenly in the middle, the rest of the city is so short. You know, there's all these arguments. And yes. then people start talking about, take extreme positions and say, oh, this is just a fake city, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean... What is the purpose of Sheikh Zayed Road is the question. And to my mind, the purpose is that to, to create a sense of a city, you know, to create that, that ambience of, I don't know, even if it's for a, a five, ten minutes long stretch of drive, it creates that ambience that you are in this huge city, you know, with lots of people, lots of activity. Um, okay. It's a different matter that one street behind that you, you know, you, you have almost uh, ground or yeah. very short structures, but it creates that it, uh, it, um, yeah. That's very interesting. I never thought of it until you mentioned it today that most cities, main streets or like their city centers, usually a very walkable yes. distance and yes. it's a very closely because they're older cities. Yes. So they didn't have those highways back then. And Sheikh Zayed is designed as a highway for driving experience. That's very fascinating. I never thought of it that. I mean, in that sense, the heart of Dubai yeah. is the creek. You know, if you think of it, historically, historic heart, historically yeah. speaking. Um, uh, it's the creek and it's the two sides of the creek which are relatively um, more walkable. Uh, if you think of Dubai or think of Dera. They, they were designed before or they, they existed before the car became the main mode of uh, kind of imagining the city or yes. moving around in the city. Um, yeah. So if I was creating a big tower or let's say if I was designing something like Sheikh Zayed Road, is there a way to avoid it creating those feelings of inferiority in people? Or if I'm creating something that big, that magnificent, then it will, that's a trade-off. 
so i think a good comparison would be to look at like dubai marina versus sheikh zayed road because both of them in terms of scale have a very similar scale uh but the difference is that marina has still um a feeling of a community uh it, it feels like you're within a community uh of course th- there also the scale is uh, is a challenge because they I don't think the scale is the challenge because it is so tall. I think the scale is the challenge because I think there's not enough happening on the ground. Um um so if if you think of a com uh, parallel like if you look at a city like Hong Kong which is also quite dense and tall um and uh, if you see parts of Dubai Marina kind of exactly like parts of Hong Kong but when you're in Hong Kong there's more activities on the street and there's more kind of use of public transport and things like that that make your relation with the city very different you know you interact with the city very Would different Manhattan also be a good yes, example yes of course okay. of course manhattan is in some sense the 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 pinnacle of that idea right, right. like in in my opinion what dubai sheikh zayed road and uh, all the other big developments are trying to do is to create versions of manhattan here in the desert so um so and because the sheikh zayed road as a as an urban form is more linear and it doesn't have enough depth uh, th- there's always a, it's always going to be a challenge in that sense one We, more one more thing if i were to talk about um the scale of the city uh, as a uh, in relation to architecture so when you think of uh, the the scale of like some of the towers in sheikh zayed road um i think the it's not so much a challenge of design uh once you go beyond a certain scale it's not so much a challenge of design it's more a challenge of kind of engineering you know whether you can make it work um so uh somewhere you had mentioned or you asked about like the relationship of the height of the building to like yeah. the challenge for architecture um the challenge for uh, architecture yeah like the overall outline of the building is is a little bit of a design challenge but otherwise i don't think the tower as a as a type is uh, at least personally is not something that really excites me you know <laughs> it's very interesting you mentioned this uh, because so there's a very common joke amongst uh, physicists and engineers where physicists they they imagine these massive machines or like like a spacecraft or something of sort and they say it's possible in theory so now over to the engineers yeah. you guys figure it out you know <laughs> you, does the same exist with architects and civil engineers like do you just create a design like it's possible in theory uh, you guys figure out how to do it yeah like uh, <laughs> as a as a somebody who teaches design i'm i'm completely guilty of this <laughs> you know because all the time the students are uh, over here i've seen more than like in the past i've taught in india as well so over here i see with the students uh, a lot more pragmatism for some strange reason they are always worried about how will it stand and i constantly <laughs> tell them that's not your problem you know <laughs> that we can make it stand you know um uh, uh, it's not it's not a way to um, uh, to put it on the engineer it's a way to kind of try to expand your horizon that's that's what i would uh, 
that's why I do it. Yes, but uh, yes, this is a, this is a bit of a challenge between engineers and and uh, and architects that we we can think of anything and then put it on the engineer. <laughs> yeah, don't tell all the civil engineers watching this are now going to start hating this episode because now they know what your tactic is. Ah, they'll figure it out. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> um, no, I I I. Um, I sympathize with that. <laughs> uh, it, that's not uh, the point while teaching. The point while teaching is yeah. that um, actually uh, in in school is where you can kind of push the limit. You know, yes. you can experiment, you can push the limit. So you don't really have to worry too much about um, all the constraints you may have in a real real world situation. You know? I imagine the fun and the thrill is also to create something that's never been done before. So a good civil engineer would appreciate a good design. <laughs> I want to check another engineering parallel with you. There's another common joke, and that is that a client wanted to build a tower. So he, he approaches three agencies, one from China, one from America, one from Dubai. Goes to the Chinese agency. The agency says, to build this tower, it'll cost 3 million, 1.5 million for the salaries, 1.5 for the raw material. Then he goes to the American agency. The American agency says, this will cost 6 million. 3 million for the raw material, 3 million for the salaries. So the client thinks, as most clients do, We'll go to the Dubai agency and hopefully get a price somewhere in the middle and a quality somewhere in the middle. Goes to the Dubai agency. The guy says 9 million. Client is surprised. He says, why is this happening? So the Dubai guy says, it's simple. You will take 3 million. I will take 3 million. And we'll pay 3 million to the Chinese company <laughs> to build the tower. Is the, does the same apply in architecture? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a good one. I've not heard that one. Um, does that same apply in architecture? I would... Think no. <laughs> um, no, see, uh, the thing with architecture is that I think um, it is also um, quite a uniquely local problem, you know. So to get um, to get a architect from somewhere else and to transport a building or a design not necessarily always works, you know. So the better to work with something, somebody local. Um, of course, you can always have somebody who has, um, you know, brings a different perspective from outside. But it always helps to work along with somebody who has more local expertise or local kind of know-how, because that brings a completely different quality to the architecture. So, right. yeah. Okay. So. Now, one of the other things you mentioned was the, was the architecture of Dubai. In the past, you have classified into three phases. One, when the oil money started coming in. The second was when the city was, in a way, finding its soul, which I imagine would be the early 2000s. Yes. And then the current phase, which is now, is this globalization phase. So if I just ask you to just summarize, what are the key distinctions between all three phases and what are examples of structures or areas that represent those? So, I mean, this is not uh, something that is well researched or well um, you know argued uh, point of view it's yeah. just something that i uh, i thought that it was useful to understand the kind of the growth it of will the be city. in textbooks as a style theory <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so uh, the first phase of the city uh, really is the phase when i i start uh, or this particular uh, category start with the uh, kind of formalization of the city right so in the uh, before um, in the early 1900s and late 1850s onwards the city kind of developed more organically um, as a kind of 
two or three small settlements, um, Bar Dubai being one, and the other side of the creek, Dera, and uh, Shindaga, which was kind of the royal uh, quarter, uh, right at the ed- at the start of the creek. You know, so um, so these three settlements, in some sense, were at some point I understand they were not even uh, considered to be one city. Right, they were. In, in some sense, kind of opposing uh, settlements. And uh, nobody was really in control of the whole thing. Um, and then as the city gets start getting a little bit more formalized, with uh, some influence from the British who were at that time uh, pr- uh, in this region as a protectorate, they also took a little bit of interest in, in expanding Dubai. Um, as a um, almost like as a new counterpoint to Sharjah, Sharjah, which was at the time the most important city, um, and Sharjah also had the big air base, the the British Air Force base. So um, um, they they kind of took interest in developing another city as a potential kind of growth center as a as a port, and uh, then. In the early 1960s, there was this, uh, at that time, what seemed like a very simple thing that happened, that was the dredging of the creek. Basically making sure that the creek would be usable always. Otherwise, it was kind of sandbank. You know, most of what we have today as the part of Dera near the Gold Souk was all sandbanks. Um, so every now and then, depending on the tide, uh, you may or may not be able to bring your boat into the creek. And that ambiguity was not helping the city grow. Um, so they, what they decided to do is to make uh, a proper edge to the creek. And that is the edge that till today we have, you know. Um, now it's the, the canal. Now it's uh, become... Yes, now yeah. it's gone all the way. Yeah. But if you think of the edge of Dera yeah. and the edge along Bardubai, you know, the Al Sif and all yes. that stretch. Uh, at, in the early 1960s is when they kind of formalized it. You know, they put like a concrete barrier and dug the creek deeper. Uh, And very soon after that, they also implemented the first city plan. Uh, It was designed by a British architect named Harris, uh, John Harris. John Harris also happens to be the architect of the Trade Center. So that's something that we all, as people who grew up in Dubai, everyone knows the Trade Center. Uh, So the architect of the Trade Center also drew the first plan for the city. And the first plan of the city is quite simple, quite logical. Uh, And interestingly, what it did was it kind of preserved the old part of the city as it was. So, Bardubai and Dera, it didn't mess around with it too much. And it extended like a grid of roads in both directions. Uh, So, in the Dera side, it created all that area that today we call like you know Rikka Street and you know the Algurair and that stretch all the way up to uh, say the clock tower and on this side it created um, Mankul, Bardubai and a little bit of Karama so, uh, not even Satwa not in, the, in the first plan not even Satwa so it's just a piece of infrastructure they just put a grid a road grid and that even now if you think about it that's the part of the city that is most kind of simple Right, you think of that part of Dera, uh, of Rikka and all that, and if you think of Karama, Mankul, all the streets are quite simple, like a simple grid of streets. Um, 
so that is the bit uh, and then that logic got kind of extended towards Satwa on this side, on the other side towards Rashidiya and Al-Shaab and Gisal. So that is the phase that I consider where the city is kind of modernizing, right? Or in the sense that that is the first uh, bit of city that is being planned. That's the second phase we're entering now? No, that's still the first phase. Still the first phase. Yeah, th so that's the phase that I kind of call the modernization phase. And it also is interesting that this modernization phase is... It runs in parallel to when the city discovers oil and when the city is trying to attract people in, you know. Right. So your first housing colonies are coming up. All your sheikh colonies, your satwa colony, karama colony, all your colonies. So the city is really um, uh, kind of providing for people to come and settle. And your first hospitals and schools, my school, your school, all that is coming up at that time. Uh, then after, uh, by the 90s, so the 90s and 2000s is where the city kind of jumps to another scale. By then the city is already uh, taken form or more or less taken the form that we see today. Uh, but then the city starts uh, tapping into um, or changes its uh, kind of mode of development from something that is just modernizing to something that is trying to be more international you know that's when the city is also making big investments in the airport with the airlines and things like that so there is a need to get things that are recognizable uh, and the big uh, iconic developments of that time are the Burj Al Arab and Emirates Towers you know and Sheikh Zayed Road that's when Sheikh Zayed Road is really starting to be to become what it is now, you know, uh, the city is like really, uh, and it's quite interesting that architecture becomes really a big tool in trying to put Dubai's name out there. You know, suddenly Dubai is associated with big buildings, with, with iconic development. So that's that phase when the iconic development is really starting. And then now we are in this phase where the city is really kind of expanding, you know, like physically it is, it is sprawling in some sense, yeah. right? So the city, which was um, just 40 years back, uh, constrained to an area around the creek, is now reached all the way here at Silicon Oasis, which is, I would say, uh, at least 10, 15 kilometers away from the yeah. creek. Yeah. Uh, and now the city is, in terms of its footprint, is probably as large as Singapore. You know, so it has really sprawled uh, and you have all kinds of development from very dense ones in Dubai Marina to uh, more of the kind of a American suburban type, you know, your ranches and your all your um, your villa developments with these swiggly, swiggly uh, uh, lines and plan. Um, so that is the phase where the city is really expanding. And uh, using real estate uh, more than ever before as a key ingredient in its expansion, you know. Very interesting. So a lot of things I want to explore here. Uh, but interesting, you mentioned our schools. Yes. So just people who don't know. So you're from Indian high school and I'm from Aron high school. And everyone knows of the rivalry. <laughs> yes. So this is living proof that two, one from Indian and one from Aron can sit together on a table <laughs> and have a normal yes, conversation. Yes, yes. Uh, but I would definitely want to Explore this. So, what you bring up is very interesting. Is the fact that a lot of people 
don't know that all of these developments happen so fast and so quickly that we have grown through it both you and me we have seen a dubai where beyond that first stretch of shakhzar road it was just abu dhabi next nothing on the way right and bar dubai karama is the place to be there's no silicon valley there's no medif no motor city where i stay now um, that was it that was our city bar dubai and there and the shakhzar and then just abu dhabi from there we've seen it all happen in front of us and renzo piano once said that the architecture is the mirror of all changes and what i feel now is let's say when i go back to bar dubai karama i don't see my childhood streets anymore because every single time i go back something new has come up uh, there are new structures new towers now the shops and you have closed the restaurants have changed right and it just feels and it makes me very averse to change and makes me averse to that architecture even though there are good structures there now and they they in a way they are making it more modern but i'm not a fan of it because i have that nostalgic memory of it right so do you think there's a responsibility on uh, city planners or even architects or designers to be respectful that every single time they create something new or they improve it they also destroying someone's memories or someone's childhood yeah that's a tricky question <laughs> because uh, here um i mean uh, cities are not something that are static they're constantly changing you know so uh so how much of it do you preserve and and how do you really preserve it is a is a is a difficult question like um i'll give you an example over here for instance there is this idea of heritage right if you think of all these uh parts of the city which are designated as heritage zones uh, be it bastakia or be it chindaga um uh you know they are kind of frozen they are kind of museumified you know and when you go there you also feel a sense of kind of loss you know you feel like the everyday life has been kind of taken out of here you know they have become kind of frozen in time so relics yeah yeah they've become relics so that is the danger you know once you start saying that uh, can we preserve whole areas or can we preserve uh, like a whole district so that we can capture a certain moment in time you also have the kind of danger of of trapping the people in there you know yeah. or of not letting them develop or de- them grow or things like that and then you may not uh, have the kind of variety and the kind of um, the layering that you see in older cities like if you go to say uh, cairo you have all these layers of history of the city and every layer came at the expense of some other thing you know so that's a little tricky so i'm not really sure yes is there need to start thinking about it i think yes for sure uh because even if the old buildings are replaced it is still possible in some sense to keep the character of the area you know i i think like if we were to remove all of bar dubai and replace it with towers like dubai marina i think it would really lose all sense of it being birth by but if you replaced old buildings with newer ones because you had to i mean structurally or sure. whatever like buildings also have life cycles so you have to update them yeah. uh, but you still are able to keep the overall form of the place the overall scale of the place the overall kind of feel of the space then uh, then i think you can find a balance so mm, yeah I think this is also a big difference between cities. Um and this is something that we 
we didn't talk about today but you have kind of mentioned earlier while we were preparing for this like what's the big difference between dubai and charger yes right that's my next question yeah <laughs> i mean that is the big difference between dubai and charger yeah. because dubai in some sense is more pragmatic more right. you know uh more you, okay you could also say it's more driven by the economics of the city you know so whatever needs to be done economically gets done so if something has to go and be replaced with some bigger development it happens uh now the question is is that right uh i think uh, for the first time like a few years back they they started talking about uh conservation that went beyond these old wind tower buildings now they are saying okay there are some structures from the past which are important like say something as simple as the clock tower or something like the trade center would the should the tra trade center be torn down i think that would be a huge loss for the city don't even think about yeah, it yeah yeah <laughs> but so but now there is that discussion happening you know and there are some buildings that are being proposed to be conserved even if they are not really old because they mean something for the toyota building on sheikh zayed road imagine the that. toyota building yeah the toyota building but you know the toyota sign is no longer there Yeah it's not there since uh, I think a couple of years then now then tell it down <laughs> <laughs> no but the building still exists but right. the Toyota building without the Toyota sign yeah. is uh, um is uh, is uh, is a bit strange but yeah the sign doesn't exist anymore but yeah so i think uh, yeah in that sense the city is starting to have those dialogues and so you mentioned Sharjah as well and how, where does Abu Dhabi fit so these three emirates how do you if i just ask you to just summarize uh, in short what do you think they differ how do they differ yeah yeah and okay. what would be some examples yeah so i think um in yeah like i've said dubai is a city that's more pragmatic it's more driven by its economics you know it's it's just something that is constantly trying to reinvent itself to 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 make money you know in some sense that's the function when you yeah, say form follows function this is a warped <laughs> idea of yes. their function is to create something that's it, it, it's to constantly kind of generate interest and generate kind of investment and things like that um charger on the other hand is a city that is um doesn't for one i think it's it, it doesn't have this kind of global ambition you know yeah. uh, like dubai Dubai really sees itself as a city that's in line with Singapore and Hong Kong and London you know it's a global city whereas Sharjah is a city that is more um kind of everyday you know it uh, and also the the vision for the city given by the sheikh of sharjah is quite uh, quite evident in its urban fabric so if you go to sharjah you see these government buildings that all look kind of um in a certain aesthetic they have these kind of islamic classical features they they always have a certain scale uh, they have a certain presence is there a name for that uh, style that style um, that is really not a, a particular style it's a mix of many styles but you could say that it's kind of um a uh, a government style of architecture <laughs> that yeah. they have invented for themselves but of course the elements come from different places yeah. uh like there are elements that come from cairo uh, from the fatimid time period from uh, uh, from andalusia that's the southern spain so the so there's a mix of kind of islamic styles 
that are put together to create this kind of uh, buildings that look some sense very elegant very royal you could say uh, so they also have a certain scale uh, and um yeah and the city otherwise has a quite of systematic uh, approach to planning you know so everything's on a grid yeah i mean at least the older parts of the city uh, it's based on a very simple grid of course the grid modifies near the lagoons so um but otherwise it's quite systematic and in terms of its new architecture i think sharjah has some of the best new buildings in in ua in my opinion university uh, city i really like that area is that new would i uh university city is new it's not something that i'm particularly fond of because again it follows this kind of um architecture that the government uses government style uh yeah the, <laughs> the government style yeah. i i don't think that's really a style it's just a way This of is, me yeah. explaining it yeah um the 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 challenge with the university city for me is that it has um it's a, it's a bit of scale problem you know it's like everything so uh far apart you know you can't really walk between the buildings yes. it's not a uh, considering that you have a lot of young people there it was a good opportunity to create a very vibrant kind of uh, space you know in between yes. the buildings and to create a very uh, kind of um, interesting culture around it but it it became kind of uh, show pieces that are you when know academic city is the same i imagine yeah but the academic city is uh, in that sense is is never really trying to be one campus right it's yeah. a bunch of different campuses so there was never really an attempt to get them to kind of mix whereas the university city in sharjah is really one big project but the design of it doesn't allow it to feel like one a campus yeah doesn't make it feel like a campus uh, but in terms of the new buildings i'm saying is that all this the most of the new buildings that i find exciting in sharjah are actually very small yeah uh, if you i know i don't know if you've been to the sharjah art foundation the there there's a bunch of spaces uh, that the sharjah art foundation Uh, runs uh, in this part of the city that they call the heart of sharjah so it's kind of like the old part of sharjah uh, and within the footprint of old existing kind of courtyard houses they have inserted these white uh, kind of gallery museum spaces that's what the rain room is as well right it's very close to that yeah. in that area and i think that's very interesting because there is not just um, an appreciation of the old but there is also an attempt to try and find a new language you know uh, to do something that is not just mimicking the past in dubai the challenge is whenever we have something to do with the past we end up kind of making copies like if you think of the uh, the, the new alsif you know the new alsif like now looks more old than the actual old which yes. i find kind of problematic you know it's a confusing But, feeling right yeah it's a confusing <laughs> feeling also yeah. because uh, like you know they market it as the old city Yes, the old city just opened last year, you know, yeah. so it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um. Uh. Then uh, there's a bunch of small kind of museum and uh, and uh, other cultural facilities in Sharjah, which I find very interesting. Like I think you've been to the Maliha Archaeology yes. Center. Yeah, yeah. That for a, another example of a new building that looks back at the past but does it in a completely new way. Um. I think those are quite interesting. Uh, now coming to abu dhabi now abu dhabi has a different problem altogether um or a different challenge the challenge is that the abu dhabi is the capital city and the right. capital city always 
has um, an element of representation as its challenge. You know that it it is supposed it is constantly trying to find what the identity of the country is. You know, so if you think about it, like when you when they designed the Sheikh Zayed Mosque, it was not just a big mosque for Abu Dhabi, but it was the national mosque of UAE. So what does that mean? What does that? So this is another layer of architecture that in Dubai we are not so concerned about. In some sense, you know, you can make the nicest. Like you can do anything. You don't really have to be. You don't have to really think about where it is in the sense uh, that you are not bound by the questions of identity as much as you were. You are in Abu Dhabi. Can we just explore that for a moment? Okay. Don't you think Dubai is kind of a pseudo capital because more people know of Dubai than Abu yes, Dhabi? Yes, it is. But uh, if you think of Dubai's architecture, it doesn't really conjure a particular image in your mind. You know. Like you could think of any kind of building and imagine it to be in Dubai, right? It doesn't. So if I look at Dubai, I'm not thinking of UAE. Yes. I'm thinking of futuristic. Yes, exactly. Right. So I'm thinking of a city that is the is the future, basically. Yeah. Yes, that's the right way to think about it. So, I see. So whether it is uh, in particularly in Dubai or it's in Hong Kong or it's in London, you don't really uh, think about that when you're thinking of a building in Dubai. you know like if you think of the burj khalifa is it um it's a i i think a wonderful building but it doesn't necessarily talk so much about the identity of of this uh, city or this region as a i mean it has become that but it was not the challenge of it okay let's talk about burj khalifa since you brought it up do you think there's a place for buildings like those uh, where it's more of an iconic structure or iconism in contemporary architecture do you think that building which not necessarily doesn't represent the identity of a city or a country but it's an announcement of an ambition like we discussed earlier do you think that has a place um yes it does have a place it has a place and uh i mean it it really depends on the kind of the purpose of it right like the purpose of burj khalifa in some sense is to put dubai on the map and that it does that it does that it does Does every building have to be a Burj Khalifa? That's a different question. I mean, does every building need to have, uh, like this kind of iconic angle to it? That doesn't fit a narrative necessarily. Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- or the question is, how many Burj Khalifas can you have? <laughs> um, that I think is a more difficult question. They're making you know? a second one now. Yeah, <laughs> they're making they're making a second one. Yes, uh, but. Uh, It's also interesting to think about why they're doing it, um, why they did it in the first place, and why they want to do it again. Why? Why on both situations? Um, I think uh, in a part of the world that has a lot of resource, um, like if you think of the 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 big cities around us, Abu Dhabi, Doha, Kuwait, all of them have a lot of resource, um, natural resource. Or, or any of the big cities in Saudi, they all have a lot of natural resource. And Dubai is in that kind of neighborhood of cities with a lot of natural resource, with, uh, in some sense, quite limited resource. Uh, uh, I mean, limited resource in the sense that limited uh, gas reserves or oil reserves or what, whatever, like that. So uh, there is a need for the city of Dubai to constantly kind of attract investment and to keep. promoting itself as a place where things are happening you know 
so for to that extent all that all the even earlier when i spoke about the phases of development the moment that dubai started building these big projects like burj al arab and emirates towers that was the intention to really announce to the world that dubai is here we're we're doing we're doing well we're doing business we're doing well and uh, it's a good place for you to invest because look we are really growing you know so in that sense architecture really um is um is a way of promoting the city is is almost like a marketing tool you know for the city um so in that uh, in that same line of thinking the burj khalifa was supposed to be the kind of ultimate you know like to build the biggest building in the in the world meant that like we are seriously uh you know big or seriously now, into business now and, the reason behind the creek tower that they building uh, so what happened at the time of the completion of burj khalifa we all know it was also the time of the global kind of financial crisis so uh, we all saw or the whole world saw that burj khalifa really kind of struggled at the end to to, to get off. there yeah, yeah. you know so there was this idea that maybe okay uh, or they there could have been doubts in 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 uh, in uh, the kind of investment circles that okay dubai did it but can it do is it still relevant you know so the idea of the second tower and the idea of the expo and all that comes in my mind from that need to kind of um prove that oh no it wasn't it, a one time it, it wasn't yeah. a one time thing it's something that the, as a city we can invest we can develop we can kind of outdo what we've already done so in that sense yes but if you see the the two towers okay the second tower is supposed to be the tallest structure in the world but if you think about it it is also a lot more practical in the sense it's really just a monument it's yeah. really like the eiffel tower Yes, know, in the sense that it's just a lookout tower. So it, tower. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's more of an observatory. Uh, mm -hmm. So it doesn't have the kind of um, investment that a Burj Khalifa would have, but it would have um, as much an impact on the overall perception of the yes. city. Uh, of course, I don't know what's happening with that project because it seems to be on hold now. Um, yeah. So, I, do I think it's a good idea? I'm not sure. but that is the approach that the city has constantly taken you know to kind of define itself by creating iconic structures while you're speaking of iconic structures or emblems what is the bilbao effect okay the bilbao effect is a interesting um kind of uh urban phenomena so uh bilbao is a city in spain um and in bilbao there uh, uh bilbao is a, a kind of like a historic city in spain but not one of the biggest i don't i i'm not 100% sure but it was not one of the main centers of kind of new growth and what the city wanted to do was to kind of put itself back on the map uh it used to be an important kind of uh, city long back in history um so what the city decided to do is to to make one big investment in a cultural institution and that was to uh, build a brand new art museum and the museum was a guggenheim museum so it's the guggenheim museum has a very uh, big presence in the art world and it's a 
big m- museum and uh, kind of art foundation and they have a big museum in in New York um so everyone who goes to New York goes to see the Guggenheim museum so they they decided to build um uh, a second uh, or uh, the the city of Bilbao kind of invited the Guggenheim foundation to to build a big museum for them uh and they invited an architect uh, an american architect named frank gary he is really in the world of architecture kind of one of the big masters contemporary master architects he's won every award you can think of um and he designed this uh, really flamboyant building in the center of the old part of this bilbao so the rest of the city is like this kind of medieval city and in the middle there is this brand new very flashy big building um and that building is known as the Bilbao Guggenheim Museum and what that one building did is it completely transformed the city it got suddenly became like a huge tourist magnet it became a, and because the tourists came in all sorts of investments started coming in and all, you could say almost overnight the city uh, became very successful in getting investment in getting people in in kind of transforming itself with one building and a lot of cities in europe after that started um inviting these kind of star architects as they're called to design one big fancy building that would help them uh kind of transform the city and that that phenomenon is called the bilbao effect uh it has not been very successful in in a lot of places you could say the zaha hadid building in baku is is trying to do the same and in some sense the the louvre museum in abu dhabi is also trying to do the same that you you make one big investment through uh to to make a cultural institution that would put the city on the map you know uh of course dubai has been constantly doing it uh if you think of burj khalifa and burj al arab and all of them are big investments in 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 one piece of architecture that would help redefine the city Do you think they they classify as one investment because I feel like the Burj Khalifa was just like a gradual um inevitability from what we were planning because the downtown was a whole project it wasn't just the burj that we were planning right it was going to be part of this entire yes, area Yes yes but it is the anchor right it is the anchor it is sure. the anchor uh it is the it is the catalyst yes so in that sense the bilbao effect is also looking for catalysts it's looking for that one project that would trigger development it's not about the bilbao it's not about the guggenheim it's about getting that one project that would then change the overall cycle of development you know can can kind of jump the scale so i did i did distract you you were talking about abu dhabi yes. trying to establish his identity yes so uh now the interesting thing about uae in general is that or at least from my point of view as an architect what i find interesting is that there is no kind of fixed style of architecture like you know if you think of most places there are there is a one predominant style let's say for easy comparison if i were to compare to an easy but also an extreme comparison if you look at muscat or you look at most of oman there is a certain style of architecture that is kind of prescribed um and everything looks like you know looks similar or looks has a certain look whereas in uae you don't have that you have like a mixed bag of uh, and it's mixed not just across cities but even within cities so dubai doesn't particularly have a style nor does sharjah um 
and not as Abu Dhabi. But Abu Dhabi has this kind of, uh, if you see like some of the main buildings of Abu Dhabi, the government buildings and the universities, always they're in search of a style that can be in some, said, uh, some sense become a national identity. So if you think of um, what examples? The if you think mosque, of the Louvre. Uh, sorry, the, the new palace that they have, the Qasr al-Hussain. Yeah, the yeah. Qasr al-Hussain also is kind of loaded in kind of meaning and yes. trying to define a kind of language of architecture. Emirates Palace as well. Yes, yeah. the Emirates Palace. Uh, or even for that matter, the Sheikh Zayed Mosque. You know, it's yeah. it's yeah. it's very uh, like if you remember, like when we grew up in Dubai, all the mosques had a certain style, which was mostly like that Jumeirah mosque kind of style, yeah. which is uh, which comes from the Fatimid period in Cairo in in Egypt. So, uh, a lot of the mosques were the kind of Egyptian in its aesthetic, and then um, uh, if you see a little later, a lot of Turkish mosques started coming. So in, in the 90s and 2000s, you saw all these kind of Hajjia Sophia kind of structures yes. all over from Dubai Marina to Al Noor Mosque in Sharjah to the new Grand Mosque in Sharjah. All of them have this kind of Turkish style. And more recently, if you see, there's a lot of these Moroccan style mosques. So if you see in Jeddah, in, in Jumeirah, in, in, in lots of different parts of the city, there are these kind of green tiled roof mosques, which have this kind of very... Um, Moroccan features but there has never been really an attempt to try and define what is a UAE mosque because the UAE in that sense is an amalgamation of a lot of different people right uh, like in other parts of the world you are always trying to define what is that that you are you know so in in Abu Dhabi I find that interesting that the buildings are in search of what is a UAE aesthetic yeah. But that UAE aesthetic is also constantly kind of shifting. Um, and if you see the newest buildings, the most contemporary, like the Louvre or the Mazdar University, there is an attempt to uh, also look futuristic or to define a new style, but uh, at the same time, think about where we're coming from. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. I you mentioned Abu Dhabi is on this quest for identity and I think it's a good quest to embark yes, on because yes, yes. that's when UAE will actually create its own style, right? Okay, so let's talk a bit more about creativity and coming up with a style. Uh, Salvador Dali once said that, have no fear of perfection because you'll never achieve it. And Renzo Piano said something similar where he said that beauty is like the bird of paradise. The moment you try to catch it, it flies away. Do you agree with that? Do you think... A lot of architects make a mistake of trying to chase beauty. <laughs> That's a difficult question. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I I agree with the fact that there is, I mean, what what is what is beauty in the sense that it is something that is constantly being redefined, you know. So uh, you you asked, do you do I feel that architects are are chasing beauty. Is that a mistake that students might make? That you're always trying to make something stand out? Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, for students, of course, that is a big challenge, uh, especially in a city like Dubai, because the city is so much uh, developed on mm. this idea of the iconic that they are constantly trying to do something that will really stand out. And, and that may not be the solution always. You know, like a Burj Khalifa by definition, requires to stand out. 
but if every building on uh on a particular street was burj khalifa then then all of them lose the value you know um so to understand which are the projects that really need the expression that is uh, out of the ordinary is something that is very important and that is i think also uh, what is happening in general in uae in the architectural field i think there are more and more architects or good architects who are realizing that not everything needs to be iconic you know so the everyday buildings are i think improving in quality because of that so on the matter of then creativity do you think someone who's creative is someone who creates something completely original works on a blank slate or a creative person someone who has a right taste and knows how to pick the right influences and put them together in a way that people haven't seen before so i'll give you you spoke about jeffrey bawa in sri lanka in the past and his work is very significant but you've seen his inspirations from a lot of major sources so would you classify classify him as creative because he's not done something that's completely brand new he's taken things that exist but he's mixed them together in a way that's never been done before so what do you view creativity as um i think this is a again with students especially this is a huge challenge because there is this idea that everything new is good and that n- not necessarily the case uh, and i am a big advocate of trying to learn from things that already exist or uh, from referencing other projects um uh like to, uh, the the parallel i draw constantly with the uh, students is that if you were in say an engineering field you would not try to reinvent everything every time right so why with architecture do you need to do that you know why do you have to reinvent everything when you already have a uh, a bunch of buildings or uh, build a bunch of projects and bunch of ideas that already work but to put them together again in a new way or to think of it afresh is is probably as uh is 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 a better bet than trying to reinvent the whole thing you know um so in that sense if you ask me is jeffrey bawa creative that's to me it's an absurd question yes of course he's creative right. uh like he's in my mind one of the most important architects from from the south asia region uh in ever you know um but did he do something um radically new did he invent something um to some extent yes he did invent uh, he did reinvent he did uh, find a way to put together things in a new way but as such he didn't do anything new you know um and this is always the problem that the we struggle with students over here trying to find something really new uh and ending up with nothing because uh to uh this kind of creative genius or this uh, this idea that you will i don't know become like a zahadith is uh, it, it doesn't happen overnight it's something even if you look at somebody like a zahadith who did kind of invent a whole new style of architecture or um, to some extent you could argue that she did invent a whole new style of architecture if you study her early projects they are very much influenced by what has happened in the past and trying to kind of slowly built on that to dismantle that to re to put it again yeah. together and then to work with people uh, with collaborate with others to kind of transform her understanding of what 
architecture was to come up with something new. So it's something that you accumulate over time, you know. And uh, um, even though architecture programs in school is uh, quite a long program uh, with five years, it's still in my mind kind of something quite short uh, for you to develop a whole style. So what you really need to build is to build an like you said, uh, a better understanding of what you see, you know? So while we're talking about building a better understanding and talking about students, another question that I have for you is, do you think it's important for students to, or let me phrase it this way. So in the podcast, 99% Invisible, there's an episode on the last Sagrada Familia, right? And they keep citing Antonio Gaudi in that. And they say that Gaudi is one of his, biggest axioms was that God is the master architect or nature is your biggest source of inspiration and you are a nature lover yourself. Do you think it's important for all architects or all students to have an interest in nature and naturally occurring structures and forms and shapes so that that can inspire what they're going to build? I think nature f uh, for me and for a lot of architects remains uh, a never ending source of inspiration. So do I feel that all architects should all students should have an appreciation for nature i think that's also a little bit of personal choice but it is it is a huge wealth of knowledge a, a huge source of inspiration so i would always encourage that but it's not something that everyone naturally takes to you know uh, as as a lot of students that we've at least over here in Dubai, I come across, they've all been born and brought up in Dubai. So their sense of what, uh, their sense of nature is very uh, detached, you know. So they don't um, feel that it is as important. As inspiring. Um, or as inspiring. Or they, they've not been exposed enough to understand the possibilities of it. Um, but as an architect, I think it is an important um thing to appreciate and to understand and to also to be conscious of the fact that nature as we see as beyond our cities is not something that is unlimited in the sense that uh, we cannot constantly keep going you know growing to a point where we consume everything you know like we have this idea oh it's the desert you know there's a lot of desert but there is also a need to uh, to be more careful about how we use our resource, you know. Um, and in a place like Dubai, like like we've spoken already, in our in our own lifetimes so over here, we've seen how big the city has grown. And uh, you you also spoke about how much of the city is changing and the loss yes. of this change. Yes. But we've never considered the loss of the nature around, you yeah. know. Like for us, it's just the desert. But there is a lot of things happening in the desert. You know, there's a lot of life forms. There's a lot of uh, other things that we have lost without even knowing we've lost, you know. Like when we go to like a place like Maliha or even Al-Qudra, uh, even if it is for a brief time, we have so much appreciation for what we see. We say, oh, wow, these rocks are fo have fossils in them. They've taken millions of years to form. But we've we've completely forgotten about the fact that there must have been so many more of these things that we have put silicon oasis on top of <laughs> because we never really had the time to appreciate it, you know. So yeah, that's another angle that I think as uh, as we 
we kind of speed to development that's something that we have to be conscious there's also a metabolism architecture movement that yes. was also inspired by natural biology and yes yes uh, so the metabolist movement is a movement in of architecture after the second world war in japan um so they uh, a group of architects got together and put together like a in some sense like a manifesto uh, to design buildings that were more inspired by natural systems uh, it doesn't mean that the buildings look like trees but it's just that their understand their their attempt was to think of buildings as more like uh, nature uh and it also came from kind of like the violence of the second world war right so there was a lot of destruction in japan so there was a lot of need for uh, reconstruction but for that reconstruction they also argued that this reconstruction had to be um, you know thought of more kind of philosophically uh so they they came up with this kind of theory of metabolist architecture for everyone who's interested and has loved what you have shared with us you also hold study trips Or you take people. You've taken people to Sri Lanka, Morocco, Turkey, Japan. Which one is your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is like asking a parent which yeah. is the favorite kid. Um, they're all different. Uh, you know, they're all different. Uh, if if you really put a gun to my head, I would say my favorite is Sri Lanka. Uh, but that's also because it's something that I'm a lot more familiar with. because i have done many trips to sri lanka and it is one as somebody who conducts a trip it's one that i think uh um is an easy starting point um it's not too complex um but yes again it depends really if like, i were to join you on the trip to sri lanka what will our itinerary look like what would we cover okay so usually i plan these trips as around a week in length and depending on the on the destination they would uh, uh, they would be about um uh one of different topics so in, the sri lankan one is specifically designed around the work of this architect jeffrey baba so uh, through the one week we try to understand where he started or what's his background like so you really start in the city of colombo trying to understand the city and trying to understand where he worked and then uh, uh as the itinerary progresses we go to see all the projects that he designed kind of chronologically so you see first he designed this then he designed this then he designed this and at the same time we are kind of covering a lot of different cities in in sri lanka so you go along the um southwest coast all the way down to a city called matra um and then we go to the central part of the island where uh, he designed this kind of one of his last projects was this grand hotel in the middle of the forest uh called the kandalama hotel so we end there so it's a journey that kind of traces the path of one designer and through that we not only discover his work but we discover the different landscapes and different influences that was on him but uh, say for instance if it was in another city like uh, say in singapore yeah. uh it would not be based on the <clears throat> uh it would not be based on the work of one particular designer but uh, on the overall development of the city and the and the one uh, the trip to singapore i think for at least for the people from dubai i think it's it's really interesting 
because in my mind dubai kind of mirrors the development of singapore um so you see almost everything that we discussed about how dubai is developed uh happen in singapore but it's uh, kind of happens earlier and happens at a more modest scale so you know you don't have this the scale and the grandness that we have in dubai but all the ingredients are there so for people who go from dubai i find uh, as somebody who grew up in dubai and who's worked in singapore i find it very exciting the parallels so uh when when it's in singapore the trip is again around a week and the whole idea is to try and understand chronologically how the city has gone from this old small port town uh, uh on the banks of the singapore river to this kind of big global city that is kind of spread out all across the island um the other interesting thing about a trip in a place like singapore is that these study trips are really meant as study trips so it's not so much about luxury you know so it's really about trying to get into the city to understand it not so much as a tourist but more as somebody who's really trying to understand it um so we only use public transport and we really kind of walk as much as we can because in some sense that's still the best way to get a feel for the city um yeah that's not always possible like say if i were to do a trip in dubai it's it's impossible to plan it completely based on public transport yes. and walking around yeah before we move on to our final questions i'd love for you to interpret what we have built with the lego here i mean so, i haven't really built too much but you have what do you think this is you you have a building that reminds me of uh, don't don't tell antila <laughs> <laughs> no 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 not antila but yeah. uh, There is a there is a famous project by a, a metabolist architect oh, right. in uh, in um, Tokyo yeah. and it's the um, it's the embassy of Kuwait uh, and I don't know for some reason this build this uh, this model reminds me of that it's not exactly like that but it's something like that what have you built <laughs> I I've yes. not built anything but I was quite curious about this semi circular like a quarter dome yeah. piece i i i don't think i've seen this kind of lego block before so i was just trying to see if i could put it up in some particular way but oh. i've not been particularly trying <laughs> what do you think it looks like at this point <laughs> what do you think it looks like oh throwing it back on me huh <laughs> pacman pacman maybe but <laughs> but ali is missing the curve on the other yeah. But yeah, when it goes to <laughs> okay, so final questions for you. Okay, what are some books, movies, people that have been my strong influences in your life? Actually, there is a very interesting book uh, that I'm reading currently. I've not finished it. Uh, it's called Showpiece City, uh, and the the subtitle for the bu- book is How Architecture Has Shaped Dubai. Yeah, so it's a book by a very dear friend of mine. Uh, his name is Todd Jordrace. Uh, he's a architect based out of Amsterdam, and he's done a lot of research on the city of Dubai. In fact, this book is uh, kind of like I think twelve years of his research on the city of Dubai, and it really tries to understand how the city has developed. So it starts with uh, uh, it starts around in nineteen fifty five the book, and I don't know where it really ends because I haven't got to the end yet. but it really 
tries to understand the role of this architect John Harris and his impact on the city um and uh, um it's very interesting so that's something that i'm reading currently and for anyone interested in dubai i think a, a must read i'm not sure if it's uh, available already it's quite new um it was the last i checked it was not yet available in the city but it's available online called showpiece city so that's um yeah in terms of books that's something that i would recommend and something that's kind of currently quite uh, relevant um you asked about book and movies people movies i i i don't watch enough movies i would say yeah. <laughs> so uh, i don't particularly have a movie recommendation at the moment Any role <laughs> Or, models uh role models um yeah whole bunch of role models um in terms of architecture there are some architects that i really find fascinating very interesting in terms of their approach to architecture one of them is this kind of very tall figure in world architecture this dutch architect whose name is rem koolhaas um he he is uh, yeah probably one of the most important architects today quite very very senior architect and uh, he has also done a lot of work um on dubai on trying to understand dubai um and uh, actually the the book that todd uh, wrote about the city was kind of initiated as part of a research that rem koolhaas and a whole bunch of other dutch architects were involved in and um he's designed some of the mo- some of the buildings the contemporary buildings that i like the most uh in particular the ones that i would like to highlight are this there is a, a music concert hall in porto in portugal yeah. called casa da musica yeah. uh it's a building that i really like um that's designed by his office um and there's a art gallery uh, a small art gallery project in rotterdam in the netherlands called the kunsthal and then there is a public library in seattle in in us uh, called the seattle public library these yeah. three buildings of his i find very exciting um and uh, i'm constantly trying to tell my students to look at his work <laughs> um uh yeah and in terms of other architects of course i as you must have guessed i really like the work of jeffrey bava yes. <laughs> um since i uh, my family and uh, my family is originally from kerala uh in south india i i find the work of jeffrey bava very relevant to to the climate and to the kind of lifestyle that i've grown up uh, yeah. seeing in 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 my family's house um so that's why the particular uh, you know affection to his work um and uh, then the last one who i would name is charles korea he was he was my first boss he was uh, also a very important uh, architect in kind of like the indian modernism phase and a big influence on um, on me as a student um, so his work also i find very interesting so okay. these three what would you like a legacy to be like my legacy oh my god i have not really thought of my legacy <laughs> you know um i would uh, mean uh if not that then let me give you a follow up question yes what would you like the legacy of 
uh, humanity to be like in terms of architecture what do you think or let's say this this phase of this century how would you like this century to be remembered in terms of architecture oh my that's an even more even. difficult <laughs> question <laughs> you gave me an alternative that was even more pick, difficult pick your favorite <laughs> <laughs> um so i think uh, in in some sense i i really worry about uh, like the changes that we have done to the planet you know right. as a as as a human race um and i hope that the legacy that we leave behind after in after the century is to kind of mend a little bit the the damage that we've done um because uh, it is uh yeah to say the least we are, it's extremely selfish of us as as a species to to kind of colonize everything and to exploit everything um you know so and i think it, uh it's it's not just uh, out of good will i think it's also for survival you know as we've seen with all sorts of uh, things you know climate change and with so many things that it is quite clear that we are we are really responsible for doing a lot of damage so you know i think the best legacy would be to try and fix some of that right final question for you what is the meaning of life oh this uh, this interview gets keeps getting tougher huh it <laughs> <laughs> was the last question so <laughs> i think uh, i think a lot of small things give life meaning a lot of small pleasures a lot of small things like w- one thing that we didn't talk about too much is my kind of love for nature and uh, i think uh, a lot of that uh, is not just a way of uh, of coping with uh, the pressures of of everyday but it's also a, a chance to kind of reflect uh, you know so a, a lot of people are always surprised when i tell them that i i enjoy bird watching i I enjoy going into the forest to take a photo of one particular dragonfly. Um and the way I see it is those are small things that um, that make life more meaningful, you know? Um so yeah, I think to appreciate what you have, what what is around you is what what um, yeah, usually the small things that add the most meaning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sail, <laughs> thank you so much. If people want to find you in person online, where can they find you? Um so online I'm most active on Instagram. Uh I have I go by the handle traveling sahil and if you drop me a message or a DM, um yeah, that's the best way to get me. And I think yeah, that's the easiest way to get me. I I I I always uh, feel like I spend way too much time on Instagram. <laughs> um but uh we all do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's the best way to get me <laughs> and if people want to join you in your study trips they can uh again um on instagram <laughs> i announce whenever i'm taking a trip i announce uh, trips that i do on instagram on my handle and also on a collective handle that i run with a few friends called uh, three flanners uh, so that's at three flanners uh, on instagram um and uh, hopefully something i have been thinking about for a while is to start doing more things here in dubai because uh in the past i've always done trips and other things outside a lot for um my friends and my colleagues in india with them so it's been for an indian audience so i'm hoping that we, i can do more kind of explorations here where uh, we can get together as a small group and 
go and see a building or go and talk to somebody and things like that so hopefully that's something that i will start doing soon over here let's hope so <laughs> sahil thank you so much it was a pleasure having you in the show thank you very much